Hey, it's Jordan. We'll fire up the Chill Factory in about 20 seconds. Do you get the Chill Factory newsletter on LinkedIn? Each issue is inspired by conversations I've had here on the Chill Factory podcast and includes extras to help you, your clients, students, and anyone else you support. So subscribe to the Chill Factory newsletter on LinkedIn and see you there. If you're changing the foundational agreements of your relationship, like monogamy might be for a lot of people, it's very scary and you need to be clear what new foundation are we going to have? How would we know that our relationship was still strong? Welcome and welcome back to The Chill Factory, where we make work, school, relationships, and life less stressful with expert interviews, rapid relaxers, and excellent resources. I'm Jordan Friedman. A heads up that this conversation includes discussion about sexuality. To start, here are a couple of definitions. Monogamy is having only one romantic or sexual mate at any one given time. Polyamory is having more than one sexual loving relationship at a time with the full knowledge and consent of all partners involved. We're talking on this episode about polyamory and other forms of non-monogamy because they are an alternative to the often really stressful feeling of being sexually and perhaps emotionally unsatisfied in a one-to-one relationship. And these feelings can lead to being distracted, frustrated, angry, sad, and even depressed, among other emotions and behaviors. This dissatisfaction can also be really scary because maybe your feelings mean that your relationship, something you really value, is in trouble. More angst and overwhelm can come from not knowing how to raise the option of non-monogamy with a partner, if that's something you've been thinking about, or being terrified about how a partner might react if you do bring it up. Of course, lying to a partner about how you really feel about your relationship or cheating on them or both are also options to monogamy, but doing so can be really stressful and harmful to you and your partner and the relationship, and doing so can have unintended consequences for others, including kids. So this is why we're talking about non-monogamy and polyamory in its various forms as a potential stress reducer and even as a relationship booster, as you will hear. Now, whether or not you're okay with non-monogamy, I hope you'll find that my conversation with Eric Fitzmedrud reinforces this vital stress reducer no matter where your stress is coming from. Considering different ways of thinking about and doing things can be a really powerful way of getting us out of the stressful ruts we sometimes find ourselves in. Eric is a therapist in the San Francisco Bay Area, and he's focused on relationship and sexual issues. His specialty is helping men improve their sex lives by learning to regulate their emotions, remove sexual entitlement, and owning their sexual consent and negotiation skills. Eric has a Ph.D. in clinical psychology and is a member of the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. His new book is called The Better Man, and we'll talk about it toward the end of the interview. I started by asking Eric if the root of what we're talking about here is losing sexual interest in a partner or desiring sex with others, or both. I do think that losing interest in a long-term relationship is an extremely common experience. 
because eroticism is so varied, it's impossible that any two people have exactly all the same interests at all the same times throughout the span of life. And some people have interest in having sex outside of a relationship, but I think it's not the most common. And when it is present, it can be very scary and difficult to know how to talk about that, what to think about that, and what to do about that. And that's one reason we're having you into the chill factory to help us out with that. You know, to your point, in the name of prevention, would it be a good idea at the start of a relationship to talk about these issues, talk about the potential loss of sexual interest in your partner and potentially options uh, if and when that were to happen? And I do realize that that is the last thing you think about when you're going into a relationship because you're excited about your new partner and in many cases 1,000% interested in them sexually. Yeah, we go in with a lot of hope, a lot of connection, and that's beautiful. And when we also take a look at the history of our past relationship experiences, if we have them, we may be able to know some things about ourselves. We may already know, hey, I've been in monogamous relationships before and ended up having attractions outside of that relationship. I've been in monogamous relationships before and lost sexual interest. Instead of even just projecting into the future, just owning and being open with our partner about what our history has been can really bring these conversations to the fore. And to your direct question, would it be helpful to be preventive, proactive? I think so, because in every relationship, if we're getting into a long-term relationship, imagining that we're going to be together for life, we're going to age together. There are going to be times in our lives when we will have to find an adaptive capacity in our sexual connection in order to maintain that connection, in order to maintain the possibilities for sexual connection that might exist. And so having some sense of how do we adapt together? How do we maintain connection through difficulties is a normal thing that we need to do in all relationships. And sometimes when it comes to sex, people suddenly get concerned. The content of sex makes us fear that it has a different meaning. But these issues are also true about a lot of other aspects of our lives together. If we commonly play sports together as a way of connecting, at some times in our lives we'll get injured or we'll age and we'll need to change the shape of how that form of connection shows up. So sex is no different. Yeah, and it seems to me that we're talking about the possibility of going outside a norm in our relationships and in our sexual relationships of uh, two partners who stick together through thick and thin sexually. How would you talk with someone, for example, who you're working with about these norms that serve as a, a big barrier to trying something different and maybe 
getting to a place that is happier and healthier for them and and perhaps their partner. It's really valuable to just start with recognizing that the discomfort that might be arising in you from noticing that your desire is outside of the norm, that's not your fault. The norms that we get from our culture are quick shorthands. A lot of it is informed by romantic or sexual myths that don't apply to a lot of people across a lifespan. And so just be gentle with yourself by noticing, hey, this is a fantasy of mine. This is a desire of mine I would like to put into place. This is something that uh, that doesn't fit. But it's been a part of the human community for a long time. And if I can accept that part of my erotic landscape, then I can be so much more gentle with myself. In your experience working with clients and others around these issues, do you have any examples of success stories, let's call them, or transformations or progress that Uh, someone or a couple has made from that point of being really stressed out because they're losing their attraction to each other and frustrated because they have other desires, non-monogamous desires, from those points to a place where they've figured out uh, a way to be happier in their sex lives. Absolutely. I mean, that's a big part of my practice. So I certainly have client examples, but rather than kind of talking about some client in the abstracts that I'm not revealing, client information, I can just talk about my own relationship and my own evolution of this in my relationship. I've been married 23 years, and uh, because I hadn't integrated my polyamorous identity in the early years of our relationship for the earliest years, I didn't even know about polyamory to make sense of some of my feelings and some of my capacities for a relationship. And because I hadn't integrated that, I cheated a number of times in my relationship which was something very uncharacteristic for me. I'm typically a very ethically minded person. And after the last of those experiences, um, I had a lot of healing to do with my wife to repair the wounds and the feelings of betrayal that came up about that. And we went through about a two-year process of me integrating my polyamorous identity, the two of us carefully, slowly talking about that, what the options would be for us to stay monogamous, what the options might be for us to try polyamory, what my manifestation of that might look like. And slowly over time, we began addressing her fears of security, attachment, connection. We have three kids, and she wanted to make sure that this wasn't a backdoor way for me to try to leave the relationship. It wasn't. And over time, eventually, we got to the idea of, okay, we can try this. Let's see how it goes. And, you know, inherently, she's not a very jealous person. And we had actually had a brief polyamorous experience together in college. So she kind of knew that this might be possible for her, too. And 
because we were able to talk through all of this before putting it into practice, because we had healed from the affairs, because we had planned and kept the conversational doors open, we're at the best place of our relationship ever. Uh, I have a new um, committed life partner that we live with in the same home. It's made our lives and our relationship better, our family closer. And it's because we together accepted what was true. I really had an identity that I needed to express that I wasn't, and that that was a part of the problems that came before. Really interesting. And this is a really tough topic to bring up. But how do you communicate or begin to communicate these kinds of feelings if you are uncomfortable talking about sex, if you're afraid that you're going to hurt your partner Mm -hmm. or that your partner is going to turn around and walk out the door or you have kids, Mm -hmm. such as in your case. So I'm I'm wondering if you have any uh, suggestions, any ways to make the the communication about this uh, less stressful. So the first thing that I think is really helpful for a lot of people is to start internally. What is it that you're trying to communicate? What is it that you're asking for? Are you communicating fantasies? Because communicating those fantasies might allow you to bring them in some way into the erotic life with your partner. You want to be able to talk about this fantasy that you have of, say, sex with multiple people. And just being able to talk about that would bring some new heat, a little bit of novelty, some passion into your relationship. The more clear that you can be, if that's the case, the easier it will be for you to address your partner's fears. If you are asking for a monogamous relationship to open and to become non-monogamous, being clear about exactly what type of non-monogamy you're looking for, and being clear with your partner um, at the very beginning what the nature of your ongoing connection and desire for commitment with them is can really help the two of you be on the same page and can allow whatever ongoing attachment and security is there to form the foundation really of a new relationship. Because if you're changing the foundational agreements of your relationship, like monogamy might be for a lot of people, it's very scary and you need to be clear What new foundation are we going to have? How would we know that our relationship was still strong inside of whatever new thing is being asked? And then the final thing that I would encourage you to think about is, what do you already know about your partner? Is your partner the kind of person who can easily accept, you know, unconventional ideas, can talk about them? Are they a person who's typically not threatened by bringing up novel things in your relationship? Or is your partner more conventional, more uh, set in their ways, uh, more easily reactive? You probably already have some ideas about how your partner might react when you bring these ideas up. Be prepared for that and be prepared for a range around it if this is a totally new type of conversation that their reaction might be unexpected. Can I ask you a little more about your relationship? Please go for it. How 
has communication been in your family and and with your kids about this? What what does it look like? How has their reaction been? Yeah, it's a really common question, and there's an excellent book about these kinds of issues as they pertain to sharing this kind of information with kids or what uh, the effect on families might be. It's called The Polyamorists Next Door by Elizabeth Sheff. And uh, in my experience, you know, my children were two, seven, and 12 when we began trying to open our relationship. So there were very different developmental considerations for each of our children in terms of what to or not to communicate to them about what we were trying. And uh, my wife and I were very conscious and clear about how we wanted to go about this. The first thing we wanted to do is we wanted to try this ourselves. How could we handle it? And so I dated a little bit before we revealed anything to the kids because we wanted to see, you know, gosh, before we change their orientation to what's happening in the adults and the attachment figures around them, we want to make sure that we're actually moving in this direction. Once we both realized that this was something that not not just that we were going to try, but that we were going to try making a life out of. Then we decided that we ought to reveal that to the kids, this older two, because we didn't want to be hiding something from them. And Eli Sheff's research that she talks about in her book also suggests that when teenagers and older discover that their parents have some kind of non-monogamous relationship, they often will end up feeling betrayed if it was something that was hidden. And I think the really good news in my case, in my 12-year-old, it was kind of a non-issue. We had had polyamorous community around us. I was very nervous revealing that we were going to try this or that it was an identity of mine. And literally my 12-year-old's reaction was, is that what you were worried about? Oh, yeah, that's not a big deal. Can we talk about some other stuff that's been on my mind? <laughs> yeah, I'm not completely surprised about that. And you are the polyamorists next door now. I'm wondering what the reaction has been, if at all, from, say, your kids' friends or their friends' parents, others in the community who, who may not be um, up on all of this are familiar with it? Well, for the most part, living in the San Francisco Bay Area, it's well enough known and familiar to people that we don't experience a lot of stigma very often. And when our family moved in together with my second partner and some neighborhood kids came and knocked on the door and we met the parents. We were very honest and open with them about the structure of our family. And we were more than a little heartbroken when those kids never came around ever again. Within our families, the reactions have been uh, varied, you know, from surprise and initial distrust, which I think is kind of healthy. Uh, you know, what's actually going on here? Are this, is there an ulterior motive to this arrangement? What does it mean and will it last? And uh, over time, I think we've won over all of our f closest friends and family to realizing that this seems stable. 
I've been with my second partner for seven years now. So, um, and we are celebrating in a week, one year of a life commitment ceremony that we had a year ago. Well, congratulations. And thanks for sharing your experience. Eric, you also have a new book called The Better Man. And I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit about um, what the book talks about, because I think it is definitely connected to these issues of alternatives in relationships. It's connected. So the book is called The Better Man, A Guide to Consent, Stronger Relationships, and Hotter Sex. And what it came out of was to a degree, my own growth, some of which I've talked about here, and my clinical practice of working with men in relationship and noticing some of our difficulties as a community of men navigating spaces of consent, understanding how we can navigate desire, how we regulate our moods and emotions in response to our partner's yeses and our partner's noes, and realizing that as a community of men, you know, we have some challenges with consent as it relates to kind of regulating ourselves, but also as it could open us up to the greatest amounts of pleasure. And the low bar of consent is preventing harm, but the high bar aspirationally of consent is that it can lead us to joy, pleasure, deepest connection, being able to share our erotic landscape and receive our information about our partner's erotic landscape so that we can really swing from the chandeliers together. Eric Fitzmedrud, thanks so much for coming by The Chill Factory and sharing your story and relationship options. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Eric Fitzmedrud is a therapist focused on relationship and sexual issues, and we'll put more about him and his work in the show notes. We'll also put a link there to his new book, The Better Man. If you have the Chill Factory app and you can download it from the App Store, you've seen today's Chillinge. These are daily activities and affirmations that are posted so that you can build habits toward a less stressed, less anxious, and healthier life. As an example, here are five Chillinges, and these are five of my favorites. Look for a memoir. There are so many incredible, interesting, inspiring people in the world who have written memoirs about their lives and how they got to be where they are and why they think the way they do. So today or in the near future, look for a memoir or ask someone to recommend one. Send a note. I love this one. And recently I received a thank you note from one of my guests here on The Chill Factory. And that's the only thank you note I've received in, oh, I don't know how many years. We don't receive notes. We don't send notes anymore because we have email and text. So doing so, A, really stands out, and B, can have a really big impact. And it doesn't have to be a thank you note. It could just be a note expressing your appreciation of someone or acknowledgement that they're dealing with a hard time. And here's a tip to help you with this challenge. Keep notes and envelopes and stamps nearby. This next one is tough. 
try not wanting. For an entire day, try not wanting anything. Try not wanting more money. Try not wanting a partner. Try not wanting to be hot. There are so many examples. Doing so can free us up to enjoy what we are doing in the moment in a fuller way. Spotify, S-P-A-T-I-F-Y. Around your house or even around your office, include things that help you feel like you're at a spa. Use candles, scents, chill music, have someone give you a back rub, enjoy some steam or take a nap. Anything that helps you feel like you're in a place where relaxation and chill happen. Finally, for now, know you're better. There's a great Indigo Girl song that I've mentioned here before. It's called Watershed, and it has a lyric that goes something like, every five years or so, I look back on my life and have a good laugh. So think back on your life to a situation that made you feel embarrassed or you interpreted as terrible or maybe something that you would never recover from. And think about how indeed you did recover from it, and maybe it even helped you grow. Maybe you barely even remember it, which is a good sign. We often put a lot of emotional weight on things in the moment. That's not always bad, but it can be really helpful to look back at those things and to realize that we are really resilient. It's quitting time for this episode of The Chill Factory. I'm Jordan Friedman. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to follow The Chill Factory wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll know when new episodes are available. And there's always more at thechillfactory.net. And as Albert Einstein said, peace cannot be kept by force. It can only be achieved by understanding.